This is Minds and Hearts Alike, an Enneagram Influence podcast about the three processing centers of the body, the mind, the heart, and the gut, and their influence on our perspective of life, love, health, and happiness. Some time ago, I came across this thing called the Enneagram, and I studied that thing for about 10 years. I learned from different doctors and different books. After looking underneath the hood and seeing that dynamics work a certain way and being able to repeat those processes in other people, then I was I reached the place to where I was able to read or hear information from certain practitioners of the Enneagram and I could say, Nope, I don't I don't I don't agree with that. I could say that to myself. Fear is a bigger motivator than pleasure. The things that we are afraid of will push us to greater lengths than the things that will bring us the most pleasure. Fear is the thing that causes you to veer. I will go left or right before I go towards. I will go left or right before I have to sit in the presence of the thing that I fear. And so it's from this perspective that we're going to shape some things up. This is the foundation of this podcast. And the podcast goes like this. There are three primary centers of the body, the mind center, the heart, and the gut. And these three processing centers of the body are responsible for evaluating efficiently the stimuli that's happening around us. These three processing centers of the body are taking external sensory information. We got five senses, five physical senses, sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. And these three processing centers of the body are wired in such a way that when the brain takes in that information, those processing centers deal with what's happening. They try to make sense of, in the most efficient way possible, they try to make sense of that information. Here's why they try to do it efficiently. If you were standing in the middle of traffic and a vehicle was coming to you head on and you did not have these senses in place, if you were not able to process the information, you would not process the urgency of the need for you to get the heck out of the way. Now, I, I say that, but if you think about times where you have seen, you have witnessed with your own eyes people who lack a sense of urgency because they are unaware of the danger that they are in. These processing centers are important because uh, the brain is, is designed, the way it, it works is the first time you experience something, that experience is slow, right? And so for the, for the sake of survival, for the sake of adaptability the brain remembers that experience in such a way that the next time it encounters it it is a it is more prepared than it was the first time to process what it needs to process to do what it needs to do to get out of the way or to survive and so what we learned from uh, Freud, which we know uh, everyone knows that Freud was wrong about a lot of things. But what we learned from Freud and later from his daughter, we learned that um, that it was acceptable to keep this information, that that people um, 
they act according to their the anxiousness, okay? When uh, and I'll say it like this. Uh, let me change it. Uh, when when uh, an anxiety arises in someone, and we're not talking about pan- panic attacks, we're not talking about debilitation. When the feeling of of anxiety, even in its smallest form, arises within a person, then a defense mechanism kicks in to try to balance what that person is feeling in the moment. So if someone says to says um, why did you do that? That's stupid. If you have a desire to be perceived a certain way, you process really quick disapproval from this other person, then that creates a vacuum. And in that vacuum, anxiety exists. What I want, what I desire, and the reality are in contrast to each other. They're in conflict of each other. And so in this conflict in the moment, an anxiety is created. How do I manifest? How do I become what I desire? And so then a coping mechanism or a defense mechanism kicks in. So when the person says, why did you do that? That was stupid. And I don't desire to be perceived as stupid. Then I'm going to defend what I did. That's how I'm going to get through the situation. I can defend it from a place of hurt or I can defend it from a place of fact. So there's a couple ways that, that, that this, this approach can, but it depends on my own individual health, how I react. If every time I hear something that I don't like, I react negatively, then what it means is I'm not in control. And when I say negatively, when I react impulsively, I cannot stop myself from saying what I'm saying, doing what I'm doing, or defending in the manner that I'm defending. This is an, this is an example of the coping mechanism that is just trying to compensate for the fact that what was just said or what I just witnessed made me feel a way that I don't envision myself feeling ever. And that makes me feel pressure. And out of this pressure, I react, I defend. And I try to use what I know, my tools, to rebalance the situation, to fix their perspective. Because when I perceive that they get it, then I can relax. Now, this is a conundrum, okay? Because it means that you're waiting on, and this is why people argue. The whole purpose of the argument is for me to give the other person the perspective. And I need to see this other person receive my perspective. Oh, I see what you're talking about. And when they do that, then I'm able to sigh a sigh of relief. the way that I see myself is true. And the way that they see me now is also true. We're good. You know, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but that's the purpose of the defense mechanism and the coping mechanism. Now, sometimes the coping mechanism doesn't lead to argument. Sometimes the coping mechanism leads to addiction. Like, for example, uh, something happened, you feel this pressure. And so you just perform. Okay. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, sir. No, ma'am. And you just get it done. And uh, I want your approval. I want your approval. And you and you live underneath this pressure all day long. And then it's just like, but you don't really speak up for yourself. So you don't really argue it. You just perform to try to get the other person to perceive you a different way. And so when you, you, you put on this show and you jump through all the hoops and you do this and you do that. And then finally, now I'm in a place to where I can, I could express myself. But what I've done is I have a different coping mechanism that developed a long time ago. I need a drink. And so as soon as I'm, as soon as the work is out of the way, I can drink and I can drown myself with a substance that affects my brain functioning that helps me release or forget, at least for the moment, the thing that makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, Or I can go and smoke this joint. 
Or I can go and do this line. Or I can go and get this fix. However, the fix comes out. It could be through substance abuse. It could be through sex. It could be through thrill seeking. It could be through intellectualization or escapism, escaping into the fantasy of the mind. It could be through depression, debilitation, immobilization, where you just go into a state where you can try to turn your feelings off. Because if you turn the feelings off, what are, the purpose of the coping mechanism, there's, there's so many different coping mechanisms. The purpose of the behavior is to counteract the anxiety. It's, it's a way to control the feeling. And I can talk about this because I experience it. So understanding this information, you know, tying this back to the Enneagram, I understand certain things about the Enneagram and how they, how they can play into the psychology of a person. I understand things in a, in a, in a different way than many practitioners of the Enneagram. When you come to listen to this podcast, I'm going to give you the perspective from my understanding of it, knowing that I have at least done enough of the research or have enough experience that I can speak and say that in a way that I stand by it. So when we talk about the three processing centers of the body, when we tie this back to the three processing centers of the body, you have the mind center, the heart center, and the gut center, and all those things are wired to process stimuli, stimuli that's happening from outside of our body. Okay. Now there's a bit of, there's some things that are happening in the brain. One, we're going to talk about a pass through mode. Um, here's what we mean by pass through. Uh, we, we allow something to come in. It skips certain other areas and it lands in another area. Okay. And so when I say that information at any time in the brain uh, is stimuli, not information. Stimuli is information. Stimuli comes into the body and the body can either, either process it as information or it can just process as just something that's happening in the environment. And whatever the case is, is it can bypass. What is it bypassing? I can say it bypasses awareness in some people. For example, um, Here's a here's a good here's a good situation where information can bypass certain processes. It processes it cannot register. A good example is a, a classic woman. She goes out and she gets her hair cut, trimmed, colored, and she's feeling really pretty. Okay, and she comes home or she goes to work, and nobody notices. And then finally, someone goes, hey, did you get your hair done? And then you see her light up like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I got my hair done. Other people saw, they'd be like, I noticed that something was different, but I didn't think about it. It didn't register. It didn't dawn on me. That's an example of where information comes in and, and, and bypasses different pro processes in their brain. It's not because she's not pretty. It's not because you don't like it. Maybe you do like it. You know, it's different than if you saw what she did and you were like, mm, I don't know about the hair color. And then you were like, oh, yeah, you did get your hair color. It looks so nice. Right. OK, that information didn't bypass. You just chose you just chose the, the, the safe thing to do. I get it. But there are other times that information comes in and just skips a process. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is because when you understand some of the foundation, the framework of what it means that people process through certain centers before they process others that information can bypass one of the processing centers and land in another one and the other area that that information lands in becomes the dominant driver of how they experience life when you understand that then it makes you a little bit more forgiving towards people 
So I know through my studies and through my experience that there's the mind center and there are Lots of ways that mind types can play out. I happen to be a mind type myself. And I know that there's the gut center and there's lots of ways that the gut and the heart center, that the way people, the the way this stuff pans out, the way it plays out. I know that through the Enneagram. That's why this is an Enneagram influence podcast. So I'm not going to teach the Enneagram. I'm just going to do what I do as a coach. And so check this information for what you will. You might want to consider, and you see the most conflicts between uh, other types and heart types. All right. Uh, Heart types have the most conflicts with mind types because they just feel like mind types are just so cold. And mind types have a lot of conflicts with heart types because they they feel like heart types just don't get it. You know? And so the two of them argue different sides of... uh, of the globe. When you understand that someone else is processing with a different, they're processing with a different dominant center than you are, then it helps you find a place to where you both can be in the middle. Mind types will often say of heart types, I need, I need them to be more regulating of their emotions. At some point you got to realize you got to rein in your emotions. And I have to say to mind types, look, just because you can shut that center off at will does not mean that the way you process information is the superior way to process information. And mind types don't like that. But I can say that as a mind type because I had to swallow the same reality. My way is not the only way. And I have to go to heart types and heart types have, but they're so cold and they're so cold. Yeah, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to process the information that you received. I need you to process it twice intentionally. What do you mean process it twice? Because the first time the mind type said something, you reacted to what you thought they were saying, what it felt like they were saying. And that's only one interpretation of the information that came in. It, it bypassed the thought process and it went straight to the feeling process. So, so the, the heart intelligence said that the information that I received is cold, it's not warm, and it doesn't feel considerate. And it feels condescending. It makes me feel small. Well, I need you to reprocess that information. Because I can't, you can't just leave it there at that conclusion. You got to let the other centers of your body weigh in as also. So I need you to go back and process it again. When you process it again, what do you hear? Okay, these are the objective truths that the mind type communicated to me. Information, facts that they were giving me that they don't feel any particular way about. They don't have any emotions about what they told me. I feel like they're being cold. They're not intentionally being cold. They were just telling me a piece of information that was true, whether I accept it or not. Now that I have processed it again, what do I do? And so I walk them through that. And then, of course, between them, you have the gut types. And the gut types are always the ones who are like, oh, what if you don't know if you're a mind type or a heart type? Well, then you're probably a gut type. Because the gut is torn between the two processes. The, the, the gut type is the instinctual reason. This is the other word that we use, the, the instinct. Let's say that you have a scale and nonspecific information, data, lands on one side of the scale. And then nonspecific feelings land on the other side of the scale. You have the information, you have the data, and you have the gist of the feeling. But you haven't analyzed either. 
you haven't broke either one down to their parts. There's just, just the two things land in the scale. Well, if the feelings feel a little light, I probably need to analyze this a little bit closer. And if the feelings feel a little bit heavier than the information, I probably need to do the more, the more considerate thing. So the instinctive person, they will weigh the data or the feelings without going into the data and the feelings. They may not get bogged down in the details. They just function. And so whenever they function, as, especially if they're healthy, then they just naturally do what is right to them based on their experience, based on their desire for results. And that's unique to them. It doesn't mean that they are healthier than the other two. It does not. Actually, their struggle happens to be very, very specific. So now that I got the framework of, of laying that out there, I hope you understand that minds and hearts alike is about saying how the mind people, the heart people, and even those stuck in between all have unique perspectives on situations that we can all come to value, that we can all come to appreciate. That it's not about one being superior or more, one being superior or one being inferior, but it's about how all things can be brought into balance and weighed into the scale. The mind types are not superior in their knowledge if their knowledge is heartless. And the heart types are not superior in their emotions if they just look past the data and the information. And neither should box themselves into dealing with matters of the heart only impurely and dealing with matters of information only impure. Purely. And sometimes the, 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 the gut type should not always go the path of least resistance, but sometimes you have to do the hard thing. And sometimes you have to not just confront the hard thing, but maybe you just have to find another way. The uncomfortable way, that's not the easy way, not the reactive way, and not the way that punishes yourself for what you're doing, but maybe you just have to find the way that encourages you to grow as an individual. And that applies to us all. That's what this podcast is about. So thank you for listening to this one. I know this was a bit longer. Go to my webpage to read different blog posts or get different information about what I do as a coach. You can go over to mxwperspective.com. Uh, I appreciate you tuning in and I thank you from the bottom of my heart.